Hi, David. How are you? I'm very good. How about yourself? I'm not too bad myself, too. It's great. Yeah. Um, well, before we go too into the new album, Forgotten Toys, um, I read somewhere that, well, um, that your father uh, took an interest in your poems when you were little. Um, was there a specific poem that your father liked that you that you did that you'd written? There was a when John John F. Kennedy, the president, got shot in 1962, I believe it was. Three, yeah. um, I was uh, uh, in the third grade, I think, and I wrote a, a, a poem called PT 109. It's about him rescuing the guys on his ship and during World War II. And it was a little poem and it had a little couple of little rhymes in it. But my caught my father's eye and he told me that I should be think about becoming a songwriter. And I was only like eight years old, but uh, he was hanging out with a lot of songwriters like Paul Francis Webster and Rod McEwen and uh, Jimmy Webb and people like that. I got to know when I was like 10 years old. So I was influenced by songwriters and I thought that that maybe could be possibly something I could do. But what, what was it specifically? Do you still recall the poem? Can you, can you say now? I, know, I can't recall it. I can't I recall, recall it. it. No, no, no. I just can't recall it. Could be, could be maybe that, 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 that your father saved it. I don't know. If you, what, at an early age, what, uh, what did you like about writing and, 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 and words? And, and, and I just liked, I just liked the, 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 the rhyming of the words. I liked, I thought it was, I thought it was a challenge, uh, like a crossword puzzle. To, to come up with the right word to fit uh, in the thing and yet still have meaning. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I was really interested in piano at the time and uh, I'd played drums too. So I sat with next to every big band, really famous drummers and stuff. And then I, I started playing piano when I was eight and uh, started taking lessons and uh, followed, trying to follow in my father's footsteps from the, from the arranging standpoint by watching him, uh, uh, write music all day long. So can you say that, well, what was your first love then? Was it writing or was it playing the piano? I think playing the piano. I'm a, I'm a real slow writer. I'm a real slow writer. It takes me a long time to write lyrics or music. So it's it's a labor of love. That's why I like end up just co-writing with people sometimes because it's just it's easier when you bounce off of somebody. Yeah. Um, playing the piano, what... what what did you like about playing the piano when you were really an early age? What, what did it give you? Did it comfort you or? Did it yeah, you it did. It, it, it gave me the freedom to, to just practice, play what I wanted to play. Uh, my parents, my dad wanted me to study classical music, but my heart was in rock and roll. So I was trying to play like, uh, uh, like Leon Russell. Uh, and uh, uh, later on in 1970, Elton John, when he came out, I just, I just, he just absolutely destroyed me with his style. And uh, I thought he was the most fantastic talent that ever hit the earth. You know? What, what, what makes him so good in your, in your opinion when, well, you were 18 then when he, when he yeah. entered the in 1970? Yeah. In, 16, uh, I mean, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he just had it all. He had classical, classical underpinnings of his, and his piano playing. And he had the bluesy singing, but he had all these strong these strings uh, with Paul Buckmaster wrote that were so great uh, with his arrangements and everything. And he just had a little bit of everything, but mainly his voice, his voice and his piano playing and the lyrics that Bernie was writing were, were incredible. Yeah. 
So when when did you start then writing your own your own material? About that time when uh, Elton came out, I started writing things like, uh, uh, you know, he had songs like "The King Must Die," and I wrote a song called "Face Beneath the Crown." I was copying Elton John's songs, doing my own version of Elton John, of me doing Elton John. So, uh, you know, it took me a while before I started falling into my own uh, pace and my own finding myself. What was what was the first song that you actually were really proud of? This first song you wrote yourself? Uh, yeah, it was called like "Face Beneath the Crown." But my first recorded song was a song that got uh, became a minor hit. It was called "Houston, I'm Coming to See You," and it was recorded by Glenn Campbell, the, the country artist. And I was about 19 at the time, and uh, uh, he recorded it. It was a minor hit, but it was still a little bit of a hit record. So. Uh, That kind of launched me on my way, and uh, uh, that's when I found out that I really wanted to be a a songwriter and uh, and, uh, and and play keyboards. What was enduring that trip when you, well, like you were saying, the first song that you wrote for Clem Camp, I mean, the, the song that became a minor hit. Um, did your father, did you bounce off your father uh, in those years too? Uh, did you? I absolutely, absolutely I did. Uh, my father was my best uh, uh, supporter, But he was also a, a very sensitive critic and could constructively criticize something that I've done. But he loved, he was the one that took the song. My song Houston took it to Glenn Campbell because he was pre he thought it was a great song. And I just thought it was a, you know, one of my one of my first uh, tr tries at doing a song. So I was I was uh, ecstatic, you know. But in hindsight, can you tell what made the song good uh, from your from your father's opinion? I think, well, I think Glenn Campbell's singing sold the song, but it had a kind of a hook. It was kind of a hooky chorus, you know? You'd have to hear the record to know what I'm talking about, but it's uh, it's kind of in the style of Jimmy Webb doing Galveston and uh, By the Time I Get to Phoenix. It's almost in that style. Right. Um, well, then, um, Toto, of course, and then all the things that you did. If you if you, if you you look back, what, what, what was really important step for Toto to take to Well, became as big as you as, as you became. Uh, I think the first step was in uh, getting the right players into a band that all were like-minded, and then uh, seeing how they adapted to the material. That I was writing most of the material at the time. There was a couple other people that were starting to write, but I had the finished material. So I listened to the way the guys were playing it. It was just it just everything fell into place as a band. So when we first started playing, I think one of the first rehearsals, we rehearsed Hold the Line. And uh, that became a big, big record for us, you know, right out of the bat. So we had confidence, a lot of confidence from the get-go. And uh, uh, to this day, I think we look back and saying, uh, you know, it, it just validated us as a band and uh, helped us help launch our career. If you if you compare when you wrote Hold the Line and then when you, when you actually brought it to the band, um, did it change a lot? Did it alter a lot? Was it? No, it just it just filled in with all the uh, right parts. You know what I mean? I just had a piano part. I was playing it, but I had heard the guitars in my head, and I heard the the drums in my head too. But Jeff Carl, I never had to tell him what to play. He always knew exactly the right thing to play. And same with Steve Lukather. As soon as I started playing the piano part, he jumped on it and played the right guitar part that I was hearing in my head. And so uh, the bass was simple enough, and the, and uh, Bobby Kimball uh, sang the shit out of it uh, when uh, he, he got a hold of the melody. You know? 
And is it if you how do you what what is it like 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 you were saying that Jeff and and Steve they immediately knew what to play when you had in your head? Is it musical chemistry or what what is it? Yeah, total musical chemistry and and like minded musicians. But you have to have the technique. You have to really know, be a, a have your technique down and your uh, your ability to play and, and ears and your ability to listen a lot. You know, as, as a songwriter, that's what you try and do. I think is a, when you when you're playing other people's songs, I think you try and play it like it was your own song and imagine it that way. So you leave room and space for the for the singer and the and the uh, and the various. Uh, uh, parts of the arrangement to, to flow. So no really big egos then. No what? No really big egos are needed then. No, no, you got, you got to leave the egos at the door. That's what Quincy Jones always says. Leave your ego at the door. Yeah. Um, well, you've wrote, you've written many songs. Is there one song, one total song that you say, well, that's that's my p- p- pinnacle. That's the one I really like. Uh, I would have to say Rosanna is probably one of the pinnacle songs that I've written and uh, that I enjoy most because it's, it's got these different sections in it. And uh, it's, it's interesting, I think. And, uh, and the band plays, gives a powerful performance and you actually see demonstrate the, the different players in the band. It starts out with a drum intro, then it goes into a, a synthesizer solo, then it goes into a guitar solo, then there's more piano and guitar at the very end. So I think it demonstrates our, our, our the band's uh, exceptional musicality and uh, and shows what we can do under the uh, frame of a pop record, what you can get out get, get away with, you know. Yeah, you mean musical wise? I mean, not not yeah. the typical typical songwriting, but actually more and and enduring and, and yeah. Yeah, we, 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 basically, we just try and see what we can get away with, you know. <laughs> Uh, it, what what did you get away with with that song? Can you explain? Well, we got a, we got a spin synth solo in the middle of a here's a pop song that normally would have like a saxophone or a, or maybe a guitar, but it's just a short solo, one little short solo, and there being two there there being two solos that were tremendous solos. I mean, they were a monumental uh, uh, playing on it. Well, on the Steve Ricardo did on the uh, on the synth solo and. Uh, and Steve Lugather did an incredible guitar solo. So it was just at the very end, we just faded out jamming. Like uh, we have a, a band in the United States called Little Feet that we, is one of our favorite bands. And so I kind of, we paid a, did a little tribute to Little Feet at the end there, played a little New Orleans kind of music there. So uh, that's, that's, that, had, that, had, that song had it all. Did you, did you discuss this song with your dad? Um. After I after I recorded it, I did. I played him a little bit of it, you know, and he liked how it had the uh, little. It had a little swinging. It swung like jazz did. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, he liked it a lot. Was he? What? What? How did he advise you during your well those years? Because I think he passed he didn't away. Advise me too much. I pretty much was on my own to do things. You know, he just said, uh, uh, "Make sure that your t- tracks are all tight so you can splice." So you can splice from uh, cut from track to track if you want to combine a track and say do uh, say you have a take one is good but take three is good also you can use parts of both and that that was the old days before computers where you had to take a razor blade and cut the tape and splice it together which okay. engineers did all the time you know and now now it has has it has it become easier now 
It's been so much easier now to splice, splice tape and no more tape splicing. It's all done digitally on computer and uh, it's a lot quicker. And uh, of course, there's a lot more options now because you have a multitude of tracks. So you have to be, uh, you have to kind of know how to arrange and how to engineer at the same time to, to group tracks together. And, and it's the art of record producing. Can't you tell that now with 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 how the uh, the recordings are being done now that it isn't that that necessary to be uh, tied as a band anymore? Or yeah, there's a certain amount of that. You're, what you're talking about, there's a certain truth to that. Where before Toto was the band that was called in to play things almost perfect. You know what I mean? It's getting as close to steady beat and playing in tune. And doing all the things following, but now everybody can be in tune uh, mechanically, digitally, and also the the time they have autocorrect on the time. So that's why they have all these artists and that are incredible singers, but you hear these incredible tracks underneath them because a lot of them were done with machines and people uh, manipulating machines to uh, autocorrect the time and to pitch correct the vocals. So uh, it kind of make it a, an even playing field where before Toto was a real special thing that would, to get Toto on a, on a, to cut a track meant uh, you got to cl- pretty close to perfection on it, you know. But is, is, is the feeling still there? I think the feeling still is there, yeah. Because it's, it's the way that I, I make records. I like to use a little bit of both. I like to use a little bit of the, um, the machines for my blueprint, my demo, but then I replace the things with real people on it. And I think it gives it a human quality, but some of the things I, I leave some, but you, it's hard to tell which, which of those I leave and which I don't, you know? Yeah. Um, one thing that I, well, that, was, that I read, um, what is the best thing, the best thing that you brought to the arrangements of uh, the girl is mine? Um, For you. That, was, that, was, uh, that wasn't too hard because Paul McCartney, when I walked in the room, he was playing the song. So I just had to listen to him as to what I should play. I, I can't believe they had me play piano on a Paul McCartney song. Uh, but he was very nice. And Linda was there. George Martin was there. Uh, Jeffrey Hemrick was there. And Quincy Jones was there. And Michael Jackson. So it was all, uh, you know, what I call rarefied air in that room that day. And yeah. uh, uh, it was really great artistry all around. And uh, all I had to do was just play. And uh, I made a couple suggestions to start soft and to get louder and uh, to modulate and stuff like that. But basically the tune was already there. All we had to do was read the music and play it with Paul McCartney and it kind of played itself. And what did you, is there, is, is there something that you learned from those sessions that you thought, well, hey, I didn't know that uh, the way Michael Jackson worked or the way Paul McCartney worked? Um, I learned from those sessions how, how easy Paul McCartney is to work with. And you, if you have a song, you know what I mean? He pretty, pretty much liked it, what we were doing. There wasn't a big struggle and a lot of tearing your hair out, trying to figure out what the artist wanted. It was pretty simple. And he's him singing and his piano part and everything. All I had to do was copy his piano part. And uh, pretty much the arrangement took care of itself. Yeah. Um, forgotten toys. Um, you had toys lying around, songs uh, lying I had around. Songs, I had some songs. I had pieces of songs. Yeah. What was what, what was the oldest oldest? Uh, I think piece. I think Lucy. I think Lucy is the oldest one. 
which mm-hmm. I did about seven or seven years ago. And it was supposed to be go on a solo record. I was doing and wanted to do a solo project with another keyboard player named Mike Lang, very famous, legendary keyboard player and uh, session player in Los Angeles. And uh, it, uh, we did it for a solo record, but we, it never came to fruition because he was busy and I got busy. So I dusted it off and said, well, I'm just going to add a little bit of scatting to it. And uh, I want this to go on my record here because it's so close to me. And I was the one that came up with the composition and uh, Mike, Mike uh, played the solo on it. So uh, that's about the oldest one. Who is Lucy? Lucy. Lucy is, uh, I, I took that from the cartoon character. Uh, the, I was a big Vince Guaraldi fan when he wrote the theme to peanuts, right. uh, Vince Guaraldi. And he also wrote cast your face the wind. So I was kind of, in that mode here, I wanted to write a counterpoint to Peanuts and call it Lucy because uh, it reminded me of my sister. The character Lucy, the comic, reminds me of my sister a little bit. So it was kind of in, in, uh, encompassed in all of that. Now, what what part of uh, did did remind you of 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 your sister? My sister is when Lucy, when he's going to go kick the football, and she picks the picks the football up, and he kicks the air and falls down. That's my sister used to do that to me. Okay. <laughs> um, Queen Charade. Um, who are you gonna woo today? Is a lyric that you that you wrote yeah. in, in that song. Um, what inspired the song for you? Who, who, the song? Who, who is the who? Who is the who? Who's the who? Who are you gonna yeah. woo today? That's yeah. a good question. Um, I the, the song came. Uh, uh, It was inspired by Keith Richards, who I got to work with on a solo album four years ago called Cross-Eyed Heart. I got to play on one cut and I did one take and that was it. That's all I needed. Uh, And uh, Steve Jordan hired me. He was producing Keith's album and uh, he's currently the drummer with the Rolling Stones. And uh, so that inspired me. And uh, what else inspired me? Uh, Oh, there's a Tchaikovsky opera called Queen of Spades. And it had the basic storyline that I, I basically loosely based a Queen of Queen Charade on about a gambler, an obsessed gambler, and a cunning uh, duchess who uh, who's managed to rip everybody off with her card trick, with her prowess and get sexual favors and, uh, and uh, what have you. So uh, it was those two things between Keith Richards, playing with Keith Richards, And the Tchaikovsky Queen of Spades. That's where I got it. Yeah, the Queen of Spades is, is the who then? And uh, in what way did Keith Richards inspire you? Can you be a bit more yeah. precise? Well, just the way he's played all these years, the way he does his intros with guitar and, and how reckless reckless and cavalier he is with the stuff, you know? How he doesn't try and make things too tight and everything. And the and some of the chord um, suspensions, the, the chord inversions that he used, I try and copy some of those sometimes because uh, I just love the way he plays, uh, you know, like Brown Sugar and, and all these intros that he's done on these songs. have always been great. And they're very guitar oriented. So I liked, I had uh, Don Felder play Slide on it. And I had Steve Lukather who does great. He's a great rhythm guitarist. And he even brought in a, uh, like a Telecaster a guitar where he usually plays the Steve Lukather model guitar. But for this one, he brought in a guitar like Keith plays. Uh, and played it, and it was uh, it was it, it was. I just had a big smile on my face the whole day. Yeah, and the um, 
the first song forward. I think it's a it's a nice piece of music. Uh, so you 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 begin and you end the song with uh, I think with instrument. I mean the album, the EP with in, instrumentals. What 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 inspired forward? Forward. I wanted to uh, rec- people to recognize I have this side of me that's that really wanted to be a cinematic uh, film composer, but I only did. I was only able to do films in short spurts like that. You know what I mean? I have a little ideas. But I don't have the length that, say, like James Newton Howard or Jerry Goldsmith. Who I, I got to work with both of those guys, Jerry Goldsmith and James Newton Howard. And so that inspired me to uh, I wanted to tip my hat to the film composers and said, guys, I hear you out there. And uh, I'm, I'm one of you. I'm, I, I think like you guys do. And I'd love to I'd love to do that someday, you know. What about what 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 sort of movie uh, would forward be fitting to? Oh, I don't know. Maybe someone flying in a plane, something like that. Flying, yeah. you know. Yeah, and um, then the song "Will I Belong to You" would know. Uh, well, the, the the words are written um, just after each other. Uh, yeah. Specific reason? Uh, yes, that was a song that uh, that's a song about a father and a daughter. A father singing to his daughter. And it was about my daughter coming of age, watching her grow up through her teens. And now she's in her early 30s. And um, I'm just uh, hope as a father, uh, hoping that she find watching his daughter fall in love for the first time and finding true love. And uh, he's uh, doesn't quite sure how to how to handle it, but uh, he's accepting it as it uh, as she comes of age. So uh, and then my daughter was stuck in the studio without my knowledge. And sang a little vocal on it, an answer vocal, and uh, it melted my heart when I heard it. First, first I was a little uh, annoyed because I was thought like, "What are you doing in the studio playing with my records?" And uh, she said, "Well, I just did something. You didn't need to check it out, man." And I was really pleasantly surprised. So uh, it's a father-daughter special gift for me. But did she know that the song was written about your your the your relationship with her? Yes. Yeah. Um, is it hard for you to see her come of age? Uh, I'm sorry, say it again. Is it hard for you to see her come of no, age? No, it's a beautiful thing. It's it's really wonderful. You know what I mean? To see her grow into a young woman, go from a, a baby to a teenager to a young woman. And uh, it's really miraculous and uh, and magical. And uh, we, uh, I, she works, a, she's a movie, a music producer in video games. She produces music for video game trailers, so we are we're constantly talking about orchestras and movies and cinematic stuff and everything. So it's a it's a great bond. Do you help her or or, or I do her? occasionally. Uh, every once in a while, she has a question for me, but very rarely. <laughs> but I can see. But well, you, you said with forward that you would like to go more into cinematic. Yeah, I would. Maybe, maybe the two of you could work together. Well, I keep nudging her. I keep saying, "Don't you have any work for your father?" Yeah, you know, yeah. That's could be. Yeah. Um, Spirit of the Moonrise. Um, yes. Saw it. Saw it in a dream. A girl rides uh, across her native land. Yeah. In, was it in, uh, inspired by, well, the Native Americans or something? Or am uh, I just- yes, it was, but it was just a dream. And that's how I, uh, that's what my thoughts were that it was. I couldn't really describe what it was accurately, except a girl on a painted horse. So uh, Joseph Williams helped me write this song, the, the lyrics. And we described that we want to describe it as a girl riding across her native land 
which is like Native American, and uh, and trying to find her uh, uh, time to find her homeland again. And uh, we just kind of took it from there. I brought Mike McDonald in on it to sing uh, uh, the chorus with me. And he also sang some of the step outs at the very end. And of course, Steve Lukather plays a brilliant guitar solo on it. So I think it's, uh, I was one of my favorite songs. Is it something that, 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 well, that, that, uh, that you think about a lot? Well, the, the, the Native Americans? The, the yeah, Native I do. I do. You know, I, uh, there's a, a California where I live is, uh, it's all been, you know, there's, we're Indians all around, uh, Navajo Indians, Chumash Indians, and, uh, they kind of got dealt a bad hand by the United States, uh, early on here as far as, uh, taking it, getting their land taken away from them. So, uh, it thinks it's, it's, uh, there's a certain amount of guilt that goes along with being an American that what happened to the, uh, Native Americans. So, uh, I think I share in that guilt and that's, that was kind of, uh, I wanted to show that in, in some, in the song a little bit. Is there something that, well, you would want to happen maybe with this guilt or with the, with the situation? Uh, no, I just think that the more that we can do for Indians, the more that we can help them and, uh, and, and not just give them casinos, but just help them in general. I think we owe, owe them a, 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 a debt. I'm not sure how to repay that, except in giving them more land or uh, or uh, just uh, being inclusive of them when it comes to all things. You know what I mean? Just like the uh, I know that the uh, Oscars are just apologized to Marlon Brando for uh, when he sent the the girl he sent an Indian to, to to not accept his award to refuse to accept his award because of the way the Indians were mistreated. Well, he got a lot of flack for that. It was booed. Uh, it was really a bad thing in the industry. And just recently, the United States, the, the Motion Picture Academy, gave her a huge public apology for the way they treated her. You know, yeah. so there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. Um, first time, I used to think that I was so wise. Is it about you? Yes, absolutely. Father-daughter uh, song uh, from my uh, my perspective. And uh, my watching my daughter come of age, you know. And what I used to think that I was so wise. Was a specific occasion that happened, or thing a specific memory no, that you had in, in general? Mind? In general, every day, every, every, once a week, it goes by where I think I thought I knew really knew something, but I did actually didn't, and I and I get uh, I get pleasantly surprised all the time with uh, new knowledge. Uh, things that my daughter's done that I wasn't aware that she's experienced before, uh, uh, all kinds of things. Well, you said uh, when we started this interview, uh, a poem that you say, well, actually writing is a labor of labor of love. Um, yeah. What was it to for you to write, I mean, to actually write the lyrics to these, these well, seven songs, but actually you wrote five songs, lyrics to? Yeah. Um, was it hard? Yeah. Uh, It's always a little bit pulling teeth with me because it's a very slow process because I, I really, uh, words are special, but I'm not that eloquent and that well read enough. Uh, I wish I'd been a, a, an English lit teacher like uh, Sting or Mark Knopfler or Don, Donald Walter from Steely Dan. But uh, so I got to dig a little bit deeper and sometimes rely on a, a partner to uh, help me co-write the songs. 
but but once you get them right, once you get I get the lyrics right, I'm really happy. It's really it's a great satisfaction to finally get lyrics right. That's my main challenge today. Not so much the music that comes quickly to me, but picking out what words I'm going to sing and how they're sung is very important to me. You know. Is there one song that you wrote? I mean, the lyrics to one song that you say, well, uh, Joseph Williams or, or someone else helped you and say, well, putting together that line or maybe using, finding that word that really made yeah. the song write itself. Yeah. Do you have an example? Uh, just all the tears that shine. Uh, there's a subline that goes, uh, deep pools, uh, Tear, tears of pools or something like that. I can't remember the exact line right now. It just escapes me because we're being interviewed right now is why I can't remember it. <laughs> so uh, 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 there's some lines on uh, 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 all the tears that shine are some of my favorite lines. Yeah, I think the, 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 the line that I, that I wrote down of this is all I see is you and a fool in love. Yeah, a fool in love. That's right. And who is the fool in love? That's me. <laughs> and, and Mike Sherwood. I think Mike Sherwood probably felt the same way. Yeah. You know, uh, he passed away this last year, by the way. So that's one of the reasons why I put it on the record is because he did the original demo vocal on it. And I, and I, I wasn't happy. I recorded the song on Toto 14, but I was not happy with the vo my vocal on it. So I wanted to pay honor him and pay, pay a homage to him in uh in putting out the rec the version that he did and i did then i then i arranged uh, the rest of it uh and brought brian uh eno sent a, a little intro uh, intro a little beacon beeping sound that starts with the intro and ends with the same beeping that threads kind of threads the uh uh the song together so that was kind of interesting Last question. This is your first solo album. Uh, you're 69 now. On oh, no, 68, 68, sorry. 68, sorry. Yeah, sorry, 68. Um, what is it like to actually release your first solo album? God, to be old and white, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of an awkward age, but it's a great age, you know what I think? I feel like if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, I could have I've made so many better uh, choices in certain things. And, uh, uh, but I've taken, I have my health, I have my family and I have my music and I, and I I'm pretty happy with the way things have gone. Yeah. Um, actually more solo albums of you to come. I'm sorry. Are there more solo albums to come? Uh, I hope so. I can't promise anything right now because I'm just fin finished this one here. So uh, uh, hopefully I'll have some, I'll find some other pieces and uh, maybe write some new things, you know. Is it for you, the, uh, um, what are your plans now with this album? Uh, my plan is to take a little time off and do a little traveling with my wife. I'm going to be going to the Zurich Film Festival on the 25th of September with a few friends, like Ray Parker Jr. and Nathan East, and uh, uh, maybe do some writing there. And... Uh, I just see what uh, lies at store. Take it one week at a time. Sounds great. Uh, David, uh, may I thank you? Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for, thank you for your time. Yeah. Let's do it again. Yeah, we'll do it. Thank you.